Welcome to the Eternal Connection, a radio broadcast ministry of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Whether it be through prescribed behaviors, rituals, or practices, every religion in the world teaches that if we desire to know God, it is our responsibility to find Him and know Him. Christianity, however, teaches something very different. Christianity teaches that God has come to us and has revealed His love for us by putting on flesh in Jesus Christ and by giving us His Word through which He continues to speak to us today. We're glad you've joined us as Pastor Jay continues leading us through the Bible in the Gospel of John, right here, right now on The Eternal Connection. You are eternally connected. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Pastor Eric J. from St. Mark Lutheran Church in Omaha, Nebraska, who sponsors this wonderful program where we are and hopefully connect you to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through his word in the Bible, his word that is the power of salvation. As we continue to make our way through the Gospel of John in chapter 20, uh, coming up here on the very end of the Gospel of John, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord, which is very fitting uh, for the beginning of the season that we're in in the church here today on June 11th, the first day of the season of Pentecost, what we uh, fondly call in the church the green (laughs) season uh, of the church. The longest Uh, season. The longest season in the liturgical calendar, yes. So thank you so much for joining us. We're glad you're here. Chip, Jason, what's going on with you guys? Yeah, good morning. We're going to have to get back to that green season here in a second, but um, what's going on at summertime? And, uh, you know, I think Father's Day is quickly approaching. It is. Yeah, a week from today. Yeah. And uh, a pastor gets to uh, celebrate with his uh, new young son. Yep, he's, uh, gosh, we're now about three weeks old. Yeah, so still still getting used to it. <laughs> we are uh, officially on zone defense now as parents with three children. <laughs> now, now, I've always heard that going from two to three is way easier than one to two. Do you think, have you... I actually yet? had someone tell me uh, last Wednesday walking into the church, one of the fathers in our preschool. Okay. Uh, first time I'd seen him since we had Hezekiah. And okay. he came up to me and he goes, praying for you. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He says, we've got four. And he says, three, we'll test you. Oh, wow. So, okay. we, what, so we've, what we've heard is that three is, is difficult and that four, they're like, if you have three, have four. Okay. Because it makes it a lot easier. And okay, so is that the plan? <laughs> no, it's not possible anymore. <laughs> you, there's a hard stop. Yeah, that's right. No, but uh, despite all the craziness and, and uh, you know, everything that comes with an infant, especially with two other little ones running around, we are just incredibly blessed. I mean, every day, uh, all you ask for is a healthy baby, yes, a healthy indeed. mom, and the Lord has been merciful in that. So, And you've been doubly blessed because uh, he is sure cute. Yeah, so small. Uh-huh. Our other kids were, our first one was over nine pounds, our other one was just under, and he came early, so he was six pounds, 14 ounces, and so tiny. In fact, we, he did not fit in the car seat that we had that was rated for oh, four pounds right. and up. Wow. And so we were standing outside the hospital for a long time tracking down a car seat. Yeah, they won't let yeah. you go without yeah. the yeah. proper fit. I remember that. So it's it's been just, I mean, he's healthy and everything else, you know, 
it's just it's a new thing for us to have such a small baby. Because right? if you know anything about the Jays, where <laughs> small would not be one of the correct characteristics. Sure. Well, and I, I have a great picture of you holding uh, Hezekiah. Uh, probably just an hour a- yeah. after he was born. And uh, yeah, there's uh, quite a size difference. <laughs> He'll make up for it. Don't oh, yeah. you worry about it. Absolutely. So Jason, going back to your question about the green season. Yeah. You know, uh, one's head could easily be like, it's springtime. The grass is green, but I'm assuming there's more to it than that. Well, it's, about, it's about the frogs, right? The plague? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, Jason, you're, you're not too far off. Uh, so we use different colors to represent different seasons. Uh, the church year starts with Advent, uh, which is uh, literally means coming, and so we're awaiting for the arrival of Christ, and Advent ends with Christmas because he arrives, and it's blue because we're looking to the sky. Okay. It also has some royal overtones. Um, the season of Christmas is white, um, and then you have the season of Epiphany, which is green, um, and then uh, the transfiguration of our Lord is a, a day, and then you're into Lent. Uh, that is black for Ash Wednesday, purple for the season of Lent, which is royalty. Um, also a dark purple kind of representing penitence and sacrifice and all that. Um, and then when you get back to green, um, it represents growth. So the grass of the field, uh, the vegetation that pours forth, it's the season of the church. Jesus has risen. He's given the Great Commission. Pentecost has come, which we just celebrated a couple weeks ago. So the church has been equipped with the Holy Spirit to go out and make disciples of all nations. And so then that's the longest season in the church year. So the green represents the growth of the church. And these colors, are they you know, just solely displayed in literature, on the altar, in clothing or yep uh they're mainly in the church so they're what decorate the the what we call the chancel where the altar is and the baptismal font and the pulpit uh if you're a pastor that wears traditional garb which i do sometimes the robe uh the alb and then the stole the long thing that the stole color will match the color of the year okay yeah so we are uh, in the season of Pentecost, church growth, because our Lord has risen. He is risen, risen indeed. indeed. Hallelujah. And uh, we are reading of that account in John 20. Last week, we got through uh, verse 10. So we'll be picking up in John 20, verse 11, after Chip prays for us. Lord God, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for allowing us another beautiful morning uh, to dig into it. Lord, as we uh, read of your the account of your amazing resurrection and appearance to all those people so that no one could doubt that you did exactly what you said you did, be with us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So a quick recap. Um, beginning of chapter 20, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early to finish preparing the body. Uh, Notice that the stone had been taken away, which was not what should have happened, especially with a guard and the battalion put in front of it. Um, And so she ran to tell John and Peter. They came and they noticed that, yes, it is in fact empty. And we talked at length at the end of last show about how John says in verse 9, they believed but yet they didn't understand. <laughs> they believed the tomb was empty because it was, but they had no uh, idea yet of what that actually meant, that Jesus was risen, uh, not his body stolen. And one of the things that they saw when they looked in there that helped them to believe that it was true was the cloths uh, that covered Jesus, so the cloth on the body and the cloth on the head. And uh, notice that the one that was on his head was folded up. 
that kind of indicated that this was not an accident, that there was intent and control happening in that tomb. Whatever happened that they haven't figured out yet, um, this wasn't just some chaotic incident. This was uh, very much planned. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, for those of you that listened to the last show, we kind of ended with a, a bit of a teaser on some additional content that I had a question about. And um, Travis also had a listener question in that, that last episode about the head cloth. So in 5, 6, and 7, it talks about the the linen, um, both you know that were lying there and the one that was folded. So one of the things that I was curious about is in the four different gospels uh-huh. is this account of the linen mentioned in all four is it only talked about in john and is there any difference in this uh you know from the the different gospels if it is talked about uh yeah good question um john is the only one that mentions that the head cloth was folded and set aside, separate from the cloths for the body. Luke does mention that they saw the cloths there by themselves, um, meaning there was no body in them. But John's the only one that that points out this uh, intent, the the folded head cloth. Yeah. Yeah, and then this is really getting uh, deeper into it, but the linen cloths lying there, are we just left to assume that Jesus took them off of himself or was he placed in the tomb with them already off? Did he take them off and throw them on the floor and then take the time to fold the headpiece or, you know, just uh, do we uh, get any more or is it kind of left to our imagination? Yeah. John actually gave us a little bit of an indication in this in John chapter 11 with the raising of Lazarus, right? So Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb And it says that he came out with his head and body covered in those cloths. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. So Jesus's body would have been bound or wrapped up in these linens. Um, That's part of how they would have prepared the body for burial. Okay, so it's not just clothing. Right, right. These are burial burial linens. Okay. Um, And so the fact that they're lying there without a body in them, again, going back to what we talked about, if Jesus' body was stolen, it would be really weird that they would take all of this off and just bring his nude body out. Instead, you would just grab the body and go. But the whole scene suggests that this is something else has happened here. So these, these clothes are not only left behind that are supposed to be wrapping a, a body in it, uh, but the head cloth by itself is folded up nicely and put aside. You know, an interesting thing that I just came to my mind is up near the church there's been a billboard for a long long time and actually i think it just somewhat recently was switched out Mm -hmm. but it had uh what people refer to as the shroud of turin which Mm -hmm. is according to legend supposedly the cloth uh that has this image of jesus imprinted in it at least that's what they're trying to say how do we what do we do with that I assume that's not real. <laughs> to put it directly and yet respectfully, you don't do anything with it. If it's real, it's real. If it's not, it's rot. It, either way, it doesn't have any bearing on what we believe. I mean, that's the whole point of sure. John setting this up is they saw the real thing, and yet that didn't do anything. 
Okay. Seeing seeing this cloth here should have, right? I mean, it should have. It should have made them conclude his body wasn't stolen. Why is he not here? Oh, my gosh. He told us he was going to raise from the... No. <laughs> seeing it did not bring faith into their hearts. So even if we were to able, quote, unquote, scientifically prove that this was the shroud that Jesus had on, that's not going to make people believe any more than when Jesus fed the 5,000 or raised Lazarus from the dead, that then Lazarus was walking around that the Pharisees could talk to and it didn't make them believe. Right. So okay. what do we do with it? I don't, nothing. Okay. <laughs> From a Christian perspective, we don't believe because we've seen. We see because we believe. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> So, yes, uh, we have thoroughly covered the uh, the linens, and so we will move on now to verse 11. Uh, the disciples had gone back to their homes uh, in verse 10. Uh, you don't really kind of know what that means, but kind of almost it feels like a resignation, <laughs> right? It's, we don't know what to do with this. Let's just go home. But Mary, Mary Magdalene, stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped in to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Well, there's kind of a lot there. Now, the two angels in white, were they there previously when... John and, and Peter had looked in, or nope. is, it, is it? I think they probably would have stuck around. <laughs> yeah. No, they were not there. Nope. They, this was, and I think this is why John is uniquely re- uh, recounting this incident with Mary Magdalene. Um, there, there was, a, obviously, you're picking up on it, uh, an intent to reveal to Mary Magdalene first, which is significant, that Jesus, although he set aside the 12, set them aside to be his apostles, it's not to them that Jesus appeared first. And he hasn't appeared yet. He's going to. But these angels have appeared to Mary Magdalene only. Yeah, quite remarkable. Yeah, and I think even more remarkable is what they ask her. <laughs> Why are you weeping? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I say this in jest, but... I say it because not only this comment, but do you remember what happened when the people were weeping over Jairus' daughter? Jairus was a ruler and his daughter had died. It's not in the Gospel of John. Uh, And Jesus went home to heal, to to quote-unquote heal her, which means raise her from the dead. And he walked into the house and there were all this family weeping and mourning and wailing because this little girl has just died. And Jesus comes in and says, why are you all crying? I mean, could you imagine if I walked in as a pastor into the middle of a funeral service and said, I don't understand. Why are you all so sad? You might get a call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? And, and then Jesus says, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And then they laughed at him. But then he proved his point because he raised her from the dead, right? So here you have these angels looking at Mary they know why she's weeping because she believes wrongly. She thinks that her Lord is dead and has been stolen. And so they say, 
Woman, why are, why are you weeping? Why are you so upset? She said, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Right? So she's still believing that he's still dead, still dead, stolen. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Why didn't she know him? Did Great question. I think that is revealed to us in what her answer to the angels was. Again, right, this whole believing and seeing thing, people say you have to see it to believe it. I would suggest that your belief is way more powerful on what you see or what you don't see. She believed wrongly that Jesus was dead. And so what did she see? She didn't see Jesus. She saw something else. But um, that's somewhat not fair because she saw him die on the cross. Yeah, and she also heard him say, on the third day I'm going to rise again, just like the disciples heard. Right, Just like she witnessed him say a whole lot of stuff and do miracles and teach. The clear expectation, and this is the tough part of the passage, the clear expectation from the angels is you shouldn't be weeping. You should be believing you, you should know, right? And Jesus echoes their question, which is very powerful, by the way. This is a, a side note, but angels are the messengers of God. They don't have their own message. They, they say what God says, and, and we see that here. But Jesus says, Who, why are you weeping? And then I think Jesus asks a question that clarifies to her why she's weeping. You're not seeking me. If you were seeking me, you would have believed what I told you. I'm going to rise again. You're seeking someone else. You're not seeking me. I'm, I'm the Lord. I proved that to you. I showed that to you. I taught that to you. If you want to see me, and this is the power of the passage, you have to believe what I tell you. And then you'll see me. But she supposed him to be the gardener in the back half of verse 15. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, did Jesus' appearance change from his resurrection? Nope. John makes that clear to us. Having said this in verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. It's not that Jesus was different. She did not know it was Jesus. Why didn't she know? Jesus' question reveals that to us. She's just blinded by unbelief. Unbelief. Yeah. Which Not, blinds all of us. Right. So, and we see that in spades, right? She's looking. I mean, you have to imagine this scene. She is looking her Lord in the face. I, I think we could say the same thing about us, even though we can't see him with our eyes. Even if we could, that's not going to make us believe. All you have to do, as we've talked about many times, look outside. Look in the mirror. You, you're telling me you're just a giant accident? There's no meaning, no purpose to your life? This whole thing just happens to be falling in place? No. You can see God right here, right now where we are. The issue isn't seeing him. The issue is believing what he says. 
So Mary, the disciples, all the people that have heard what Jesus said, spent time with him. Mary Magdalene, we get this from Mark. She followed Jesus after he healed her of seven demons. I mean, <laughs> she should have been hanging on his every word. The disciples who, who participated in miracles with Jesus. These two, Peter and John, who were up on the top of Mount Transfiguration, should have easily believed. But they didn't. They couldn't. What makes Mary finally see Jesus? It's Jesus that makes her see. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And just by saying that name, just as Jesus talked about in John 10, I know my sheep, my sheep know me, I call them by name. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And that's just, every time I read that passage, that's how we're going to see him one day. In our own death, or when he comes back, he will call us by name. And that's the only way we know him now. If we believe in Jesus, it's not because we have somehow seen enough, figured enough out, or come to understand enough. We believe because he has called us. And that's the great comfort of salvation by grace through faith. I don't hope for heaven because of me. There's no hope in that. I hope for heaven because I believe in Jesus, and I know, just like Mary knew in that moment, I believe he's risen from the dead only because he has and he has come to me and revealed himself to me. And we don't have to see. And we're going to get to that shortly with Thomas. Because even if we could, we would be like Mary. We would be like John and Peter. And this is why this word is given to us. So that our Lord, who, who revealed himself to Mary through words, and just like he's going to do with his other disciples and Thomas, Right now, if you're listening, every time you open your Bible, that's the Lord revealing himself to you. The issue isn't that he has. The issue is whether we're going to believe and listen and trust. So, verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. What do you think that means, don't cling to me? Well, I mean, if you meet somebody after a long time or you, you know, rejoice, you give them a hug. Yeah. Yeah, don't cling to me. If you translate that literally in the Greek, uh, it says, don't keep on holding on to me. Don't keep on clinging to me, which would suggest that she is, right? Now, is that a physical clinging or is that a clinging on to him in his resurrected form? Physically, I think we could say both. Yeah, but it's somewhat, uh, I feel like it's a bit misleading because even today we're, we're still clinging to his word. That's what we're supposed to cling to. That's his point is don't keep clinging on to me, meaning my physical presence here with you. Don't keep clinging on to what you see. The problem thus far has been what she sees or doesn't see. Her hold on Christ was based upon what she could experience, something other than his word. 
So Jesus is saying one way or another, don't cling to what the relationship we've had. So Mary, don't cling to me like this. This isn't how it ends. There's something bigger, something better than me staying here on earth, than you staying here on earth. And what is bigger and better? Well, he says that next. I have not yet ascended to the Father. That's your hope. Because if he goes, we go who believe in him. And so we want him to ascend. We want him to be seated back at the right hand of God, to set all things right. Because if, if he goes, then the way to heaven has been paved for us in Christ. Then he says, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So the brothers, go to my brothers. (laughs) Yeah, what an incredible thing to say, given what just happened, right? Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard that term yet from what I've read of the Bible, where Jesus referred to anybody as brothers. Why might he be doing that now? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm struggling with, uh, is he talking about the disciples? Yes. They're his brothers now because he has risen. And he has called them. And they are co-heirs with Christ, covered in his righteousness. They are sons of God with him, sons and daughters. Yeah, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. The other reason that that's astonishing is not only does Jesus call them brothers, these two disciples who just saw his empty tomb and did not believe in him, but he says, my God is your God. They don't believe. The last thing we've heard about the disciples from one of the disciples himself, John, who's writing this gospel, is that they didn't understand yet. Remember, this is just Mary and Jesus. And yet, why does Jesus say, my God, your God, my Father, your Father? Because salvation is by grace. Salvation is by the gracious call and gift of faith given by Christ, given by God himself. So Mary Magdalene went in verse 18 and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I think the significance of Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene, not a apostle, not an apostle, is the powerful revelation that all this is for everyone. Right, The least of these, right? Mary Magdalene, who was possessed with demons, who was a woman in that age. Jesus has come for everyone. He's risen to everyone. And yes, the apostles, you know, modern day pastors, yes, there's a special call, but that doesn't mean we're super believers. It doesn't mean we're any, <laughs> any, any better off. There's, you know, Jesus has come and been risen uh, for everybody and will reveal himself to us individually, right? But he... By name. He wants to do it and will commission his apostles and the church to do it through the proper preaching and teaching of his word. Amen. Amen. We pray our time together in God's word has been a blessing to you and to your faith in Jesus Christ. 
who is our Lord and Savior of the world. If you enjoy listening to our program, we would love to hear from you. Go to eternalconnectionradio.com. To find our full episode archive, contact us, let us know you enjoy the show, or ask a question that Pastor Jay will answer on the air. God bless all of you. We look forward to connecting with you again next Sunday on The Eternal Connection.